0: Hello, Lanky Guys listeners. We have an exciting announcement for you.
1: We are going to be celebrating the Catholic Liturgical New Year. New Year, New
0: Year, New Year, which starts this year on December 1st. So the first Sunday of Advent, much to uh, a lot of people's not knowledge. (laughs) That was convoluted. (laughs) A lot of people don't know this, but our Liturgical New Year, that's New Year's Day for us. So the first Sunday of Advent, New Year's Day. So we're going to be celebrating both the beginning of Advent and the New Year with a live Lanky Guys podcast. So Thursday... December 5th at 10.30 in the a.m. at Drogo's Coffee Bar here in Boulder, Colorado. We're going to be doing a live podcast. Reach out. We're going to be showing it on Facebook Live. So if you're not near Boulder, you can tune in. You can interact with us. You can send us a little message. You can see what we look like, our pretty little faces. It's going to be a ball. So join us December 5th.
1: We uh, cannot wait to see you. Or hear you. Or not any of those things. Or talk to you and see your messages come on the Instagram. Sense your virtual
0: presence. (laughs) <laughs> uh,
1: we can't wait. See you guys then. Bye. You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect life.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast with the lanky guys. My name is Father Peter Muzzett. That's right, it is. And my name is Scott Powell. Well, we're in the first Sunday of Advent. You better believe it. We are starting in Isaiah. Um, Isaiah, good old Isaiah, which is often called the fifth gospel because there's so much... About the birth of the Messiah in the, in the book of Isaiah.
1: Dude, that's awesome. So uh, how
0: convenient that we start there. So we're in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5.
1: Then our uh, responsorial psalm is Psalm 122, mm. which is the same psalm we had at the last week. Last week. <laughs> I rejoice when they said <laughs> to me, let, let us go unto the, the house of, of the Lord. Lord. Boom, boom, boom. Dude, by the way, it's like because of that bum, bum, bum at the end, it would make a really good marching band song.
0: Oh, the big bass yeah. drum. <laughs> one
1: Psalm one twenty two one to two three to four four to five six to seven eight to nine. I <laughs> think there's a more efficient
0: way we could have spoken about that.
1: And then and then the 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 responsicle. It's and my thing. It says text. So <laughs> somehow somehow yeah. I did it. I didn't huh. get it. I didn't get what the response is. I
0: think it's just verse one. <laughs>
1: I, I like that. My thing just says text. text. Like the, it's the most filler I've Figure ever seen. Figure it out. Our know.
0: second reading is from the book of Romans chapter
1: 13 verses 11 through 14 followed by our gospel mm. the good news. Mm. Evangelion. Evangelion Matthew 24 37 to 44. Okay. All right. Wow. Burr, burr, burr,
0: burr. All right. Oh, what do you say about this? I've got a lot of uh, I've got things floating around. I'm trying to I'm trying to coalesce them.
1: Do you know that our brains um, float within our skulls. I didn't know that. Yeah, just in case you were wondering. It
0: makes sense, though. Yeah. Doesn't it? hmm That's kind of comforting. Yeah. Well, speaking of Isaiah, Isaiah. What? Um, okay, what do we say about Isaiah? Well, okay, 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 okay. Big, big picture. Big picture back Isaiah. Up, back yeah. it up, back it up, back it up. No, big picture everything. So it's it's important to note that the, the transition that we've just experienced or that we're in the process of experiencing. So last week and for the, the multiple weeks leading up to the end of ordinary time, we've had these readings that are preparing us for the end, right? The, the, this, this culmination, this conclusion, um, and they've all been sort of centered around Jesus and his death and his crucifixion, his passion, leading us toward, toward a pretty intense end point. Mm. And our starting point for Advent is actually surprisingly similar, and that's—I think it's interesting that the psalm really is the same for the last Sunday of Ordinary Time and the first Sunday of Advent. And it's, there's something, there's something going on here that, that it, we got to
1: explore. I've always noticed that. Yeah, our transition from Christ the King and Ordinary Time is way more gentle. Then abrupt. Um, a- Advent, actually the first two weeks focus on the end of the world rather than uh, the, the second coming rather than the first coming. And then the second two weeks focus on the first coming in a Be- general way.
0: Because as we were talking about earlier in our discussion before the podcast, sometimes you have to start at the end and move backward to see what's going on. Just like the Matt Mayer album, the end and the beginning. Right. You
1: got to see it's, it's hindsight
0: is probably the closest thing we have right
1: yeah looking back so So tell me about isaiah yeah like i I, it's funny we study isaiah all the time and isn't okay he's he's in the period after the the break between the 10 and the two
0: part of the problem with isaiah is he he spans such an enormous period of time it's hard to kind of give like a quick nutshell this is isaiah because he really, I, I mean, so the, the nutshell, of, I just said you couldn't do that, but the <laughs> nutshell of Isaiah, he's he's basically right. writing during, um, yeah, like you said, after the Civil War, after the tribes have split between 10 and 2, it's a few years later now, um, this is the period that basically marks the expansion, the growth of the Assyrian Empire, right? So Assyria is growing, they're going to be a major threat to Israel, he's going to foresee the time that they're going to come and obliterate the northern kingdom or at least what's left of the northern kingdom there's all sorts of temptations to form military alliances to save ourselves how will we do this um it's 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 a fascinating political period because we span the time of just after the civil war like you said the growth of Assyria we watch the fall of the northern empire which or the northern kingdom which Isaiah warns them against we see the rise of Babylon we see Babylon start to make their way in and we know what the future is going to be is going to hold and Isaiah speaks about the 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 horrors that are going to befall Israel Because they've not trusted their God, they've trusted themselves, they've trusted military alliances and money and power and everything that's not God, and it shows what's going to happen. But then it even goes further than that and says, after that all happens, here's the way that God is going to restore his people and build you back up. So I mean it even goes far past Isaiah's own lifetime which is why people have such a hard time wrapping their minds around Isaiah because even dealing with the period that we're, finding out what the period we're dealing with is so complicated because it spans such a vast um a vast amount of time. So here we're at the very beginning of the book. This is Isaiah's initial vision. So some of us are familiar and we talked on the podcast about Isaiah 6. This is kind of the moment that marks Isaiah's ministry when he's caught up into the throne room of God and his lips are cleansed with the burning coal and then he goes out to be the messenger. But this is before all that. And this is when when Isaiah is being called and he's, being, um, he's seeing the beginnings of what God wants him to share with the world, or with Israel specifically. So, uh, And and e- even this early on, he's looking toward the far future. He's looking past Assyria, past Babylon, past the exile, into the period of, of redemption that Israel's going to experience. He doesn't even know the hardships that are coming to produce the period of reconciliation yet, but yet we're seeing all this stuff. And the theme of it, which... Was it last week or the week before? The theme of it is the mountain, climbing the mountain, which I think was what we talked about last week, right? This idea of um, Zion and how it's not, it's not tied to a particular geographic location, and God is mobile, and mm. and the, the, this idea. Well,
1: I mean, in, in right? a in a Catholic sense, but I mean, mm. in, at this point, was we that last actually, week though that we talked about that? You know what? I, it I, was recently. It was recently. I've I've traveled to like six cities in this last week, so. I don't even, You so, gave your little godfather. I'm good. Uh, I've, I've been traveling, what can I say? Um, <laughs> that was good. But, but now, I, I think, I mean, I really think we actually should, like, I think there's some beautiful Christological themes just even embedded within this reading from Isaiah. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, like, and by the way, who is Amos? So it says, the word of Isaiah, son of Amos. It's not Amos. It's Amos. It's not the prophet Amos. It's not, it's
0: not. He is a contemporary of the prophet Amos. Amos is prophesying
1: around the same time period. I thought Amos was like the earliest prophet. So this guy, No, I didn't think that was the case. Oh yeah, that's right. Because he's prophesying against uh, the Northern uh, alternative temple up top. Yeah. So he's, he's,
0: he he actually is pretty, Isaiah is pretty early. But uh-huh. again, the the reach of his prophecies
1: stretches so far. So far out. That's why I always think of him as late. And plus, he's yeah. situated in the in the order of the books actually pretty late in the in the whole scheme of things.
0: Well, he's the first
1: in the prophets. In the wow. way that they're laid out in the text. Man, I should stop using a computer, <laughs> dude. <laughs> right, yeah,
0: yeah. So he's a contemporary of like Amos and Hosea and Micah. So we're pretty early on okay. here. Um, but yeah, Amo, Amos is his father is not um yeah it's not the prophet amos not famous amos
1: yeah i don't know it's just it's just a it's just a worthy question but he's he's talking about in the days to come the mountain of the lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills and all nations shall stream towards it okay so that's like i think like i, I think first off when we talk about the highest mountain we're not talking about something geographical no mm. yeah why did that?
0: Why did that tweak your brain? Because I want to wait. Because I have something to say about that in, in relation to the gospel. Want to wait. No, I don't want to wait. I mean, I just it relates to the gospel pretty profoundly. It does. So all. So I, yeah. Again, we're talking about this. <laughs> it's funny. What you skipped over is that very first line that says, "This is what Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days to come." Hmm. Jerusalem is considered the mountain of the Lord. This is Zion. And yet, this mountain that Amos is that Isaiah is speaking about, all nations flocking to, is slightly distinct from the city of Jerusalem itself. It's a new kind of Zion. Mm. Now, it is attached to Jerusalem. The, the thing is, there's also there's also um, phases of fulfillment to this prophecy, right? Yes. And I think we see the first phase of fulfillment. Well, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but the mountain of the Lord's house. Um, for us as Christians, what is the mountain of the Lord in a very real way? Calvary. Yeah, it's Calvary.
1: Not what? the Temple Mount.
0: Well, l- listen to what it says here. Um, well, Calvary becomes the Temple Mount. Because right. what's the Temple Mount? The mountain that holds the temple. Who's the temple? Jesus, Jesus Christ is. is. So in the days, uh, the mountain of the Lord shall be established as the, shall be established as the highest mountain, which suggests there's even something in the text that suggests a shift. A power move. Ooh. There used to be the highest mountain, which was the physical temple building, and now right. that temple is empty, and the highest mountain has been redesignated on something else. Do you remember that? Um, Ooh. Do you remember that Harrison Ford movie, Air Force One? Yes. Really, I don't remember if it was a good movie or not. I don't either. But I just remember that c- <laughs> that scene. So you remember, you remember I, I don't even know what was happening there's terrorists or something and Air Force 1 is taken over and Harrison Ford is there and he's bloody and you know all the stuff and he's he defeats all the terrorists and does all the things and somehow he gets he leaves Air Force One and is able to board some other plane, and then he saves everybody. And I just remember the scene is like the very end. He gets on this other plane, and the and the pilot's like changing call sign to Air Force One, as like the real Air Force One is burning in flames. And you're like, yeah, but it's like <laughs> that one's no longer Air Force One because the president is on this one yeah. now. It's and I'm just I don't know why that was the image that came, <laughs> but that's what's ha- happening in Calvary. Like this is Zion now. Yes. Here is the temple it is moved it's overshadowing now the other temple which is across the across the valley right so it's going to be established as the highest mountain and raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it. Like you said, many peoples will come and say, come, let us climb the Lord's mountain to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may instruct us in his ways and we may walk in his paths.
1: I am the I way was, and the truth and the life. Yes. Just like for real.
0: But I was reminded of something else when I was reading that, especially this morning. Hmm. I reread it this morning. And I'm thinking of Calvary, I'm thinking of this new designation as the Lord's Mountain, as the new Zion, and I'm thinking, when do people from the other nations and all these different realms come and proclaim these things? Well, I mean, who's the first person to proclaim that Jesus is Lord after the crucifixion? Uh, Typically Longinus. Yeah, it's a Roman centurion. Right. uh, Someone from the other nations, right? And then even our reading last week, we have the criminal on the cross, and we don't know really anything about his background, probably Jew, but... Here is this guy basically saying the ex- the equivalent of "Come, show instruct us in your ways," mm. in a certain sense, right? Yeah. Remember me when you come into your father's house. I'm hearing these words in the because le- you you read something like this and you're like, oh, I picture people with with palm branches and fanfare and flags and yay, we're going up to to Jerusalem, we're going up to Zion. You don't picture a Roman centurion like his head dropping his arms dropping to his side realizing this was the son of god you don't picture a criminal hanging on a cross asking for the lord to instruct him in his ways it's all of these things that we didn't expect it would look like that but looking back yeah. now we're like oh i'll tell this you this is
1: it you know that he may teach us and that we may walk in his paths mm. I think like the very first thing that I see not isn't 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 Palm Sunday, but the actually the, the path of the crucifixion, the pa- the passion yeah. of our Lord. I mean, like th- th- that is like, what are his ways? His ways are redemption, reconcilement and and actually through the passion, which is really just powerful and beautiful. And did you just make up a word there? What?
0: Reconcilement.
1: Reconcilement. No,
0: Don't we usually call it Reconciliation.
1: Um, I guess my brother does work for a bank. Ah, uh, he does reconcile. He's part of the reconcilement department. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a bit. Yeah, all right, all right. Um, I mean, come on. No, yes, you're. Yeah, sorry, you're there, over there. Uh,
0: <laughs> my grammar nerdiness kicked in. You've, you've conjugated that word wrong. I'm going I'm I'm to look this up now, Oh my dude. gosh. There also is this, this line, uh, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. One nation shall not raise the sword against another, nor shall they train for war again. It's ironic how um, much of the opposite of the gospel reading This is, especially what comes right before the gospel reading. We've been reading the last couple of weeks, nation will rise against nation. There'll be wars and rumors of wars, all this stuff, right? And then Isaiah says the opposite. Nation will not rise against nation. Swords will be beaten to plowshares. But there's all this, even very early on in Isaiah, there's these warnings. I mean, war is going to be inevitable. It's going to happen. All these things will take place. But... Isaiah, the threat in Isaiah, is usually going to be putting their trust in their own military power or their alliances or who, who their friends are, you know, what nations are on their side and all this stuff. They're, they're always looking toward the next war. They're mm. always looking for who can defend us, who can fight against us, who will fight for us without thinking of the Lord. Mm. And so it's funny that so much of the theme of Isaiah is war. And here at the very beginning, it's pointing to this time when that's not going to be the case any longer. Hmm. And specifically, I mean, even the way this passage ends, specifically, we're going to see war between Israel and Israel, Hmm. the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom at each other's throats. And here at the last, um, in the last line, it says they shall not train for war. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. O house of Jacob, that's a reference to the northern kingdom. So this is a call, like you said, for reconcilement it's a call for them right. to come back together and to and to have this harmonious relationship which sounds so kind of pie in the sky and like oh let's all get along and love one another but there is this eschatological vision where i mean that's the thing it sounds so there was this you know there was this image of christianity that i had when i was little of like let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya and get along with one another right but i didn't see the reconciliation of christianity in the, in, the, in the way that it actually is with Christ bloody and hanging on a cross with people, powerful people like Longinus, laying down their weapons, at least metaphorically, so to speak, and recognizing this is changing the world. The earthquake, the, the eclipse of the sun, all of these things, even creation itself shouting shouting out. The things that make for peace are profound. The things that make for peace are, are powerful and sometimes painful. But this is the reconciliation that Isaiah is already at this point in history, back in the probably the 600s, 500s BC, is already looking forward to and seeing the fruit of in a certain sense. So we have to see the end to understand how we got
1: there. Well, and, and I think that this Isaiah is actually speaking of a Catholicos, uh, a, a uni- no, yeah. of universalism, like nations, like, like, you just think about any, I've never, I mean, uh, an institution that can adapt itself to every culture of every time and actually succeed. Yeah. Like, th- that's actually, a vi- like, that's a, that's a proof in and of itself of the universality of this nation. Us, in Mac- All- us in
0: McDonald's. Us and McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> sorry.
1: Uh, thanks, Mr. Cynic- I'm Cyn- sorry. Cynical Pants. I'm sorry. It's the parents. year of cynicism. Isn't that what Pope Francis <laughs> said? <laughs> oh, House of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Okay? I'm trying.
0: Oh, has someone derailed your thought? Sorry. <laughs> Dude, what's no. up, sassy pants? It's the year of sass. <laughs> All right, Psalm 22. Psalm 22, like like we said last week, um, it's one, one of the psalms.
1: What did I say? You said 22. Well,
0: that's not right. Very like the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Um, Psalm 122 is different, but it's one of what are called the Psalms of Ascent. And you have this series of psalms that people would literally pray or sing while climbing the steps to the temple. So now as we've had this new image of Zion, this new mountain of the Lord, we're singing a new kind of song of ascent or psalm of ascent. One thing we haven't talked much about on the podcast, which I think just bears note, um, is where this psalm sits in the psalter. So the psalter is divided. If you if you look through just your, your own uh, uh, psalms
1: for you, if you don't know the term, the psalter is the book of the psalms. It means the collection of songs. So it's a psalter is it's not something that you'd use at Thanksgiving dinner. The salt shaker. The psalter. Father it's, Peter has very exotic psalters. I have many. <laughs> but the Psalter is a collection of Psalms, unlike um Scott's little sassy pants over there. I'm I'm doing fine. Dude, you better you, you know, I'm we should so, we should pause this oh. and eat more sour bright crawlers. <laughs> oh my gosh. Done. Okay. All right. But here's the thing about the the
0: Psalms and the Psalter. There are five books that make up the body of the Psalms of so the Psalter, right? Um, and they each for and, and you can even find in your Bible there's little demarcation that says book one, book two, book three, book four, book five. And taken together the five books that make up the Psalter are speaking about salvation history it is the story of salvation history in song right Mm. so the first couple of books the first two books are very heavy on david language and the kingdom and the glory of all these things and how great the kingdom was and how david was and this is the kingdom that god has built up and then you have book three and it's a lot of desolation it's darkness and why has god abandoned us because it's speaking about the time in israel when they lost the kingdom and they've gone off into exile Book four are psalms—there's a lot of psalms about nature in book four because it's this moment in Israel's history. It's recalling a moment when Israel has been stripped of the kingdom, has gone off into exile, and she has to find out what are the things that speak to God now because we don't have a temple. We don't have a kingdom, but we have the creation. We have the stars that move across the sky. We have the sun that rises in the east and sets in the west. We can see God through all those things. And then we have book five— which is where this psalm sits, the Psalm 122. And book five is taking this moment in salvation history of darkness, of having been stripped of the kingdom, of wondering what the future holds, and looking ahead to God reconciling us back to himself, to building his kingdom that will be everlasting, to a new kind of David. You see Psalms of David reappear in the fifth book. And so in a lot of ways, Psalm 122 is a profound mirror of Isaiah chapter two, which is looking far ahead to what God is going to do for
1: us. They're they're kind of mirrors
0: of each other in a real
1: way. I I, I actually I see that. Um I think that the, the, the real key f- to unlock the psalm for me is the last line, verse verse nine, which it says, For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Oh, because what, what what I see happening right there, and even the, even verse eight, it says, "For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say, peace be with you.'" Mm. And and like, how how do how do we actually have peace? And and that's where we're seeing um, the nations beating their their plows and stuff into plow. I mean, their swords and stuff plowshares. into plowshares. Um, is they're ta- they're taking the weapons and turning it into farming instruments. The yeah. the reason why they're doing it is because why because the new uh, it's the new mountain of the Lord. All nations are going to come streaming towards it. Yeah. So, so th- as we once treated and and walked and walked in the way of the Lord, walked in uh, up these stairs onto the the old Zion, yeah. we're going to walk actually now in the ways of the Lord, and we're going to uh, stand within the gates of Jerusalem, which is. Uh, which the New Jerusalem is Jesus Christ as the, well, the Holy Catholic Church. It is the Church, yeah. I mean, th- th- in a that's real the, way. the mystical body of Christ, and right. those those where those gates Be- are.
0: And it, it, the imagery is actually really beautiful because what you know. People talk about Jerusalem as this city, this very important historical city that had a temple. Right, But really, that's backwards. That's not the way to think of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, more properly, was a temple with a city that happened to be built around it. Mm. And so thinking of Zion and the Temple Mount as Jesus now, who is the new temple— The analogy of the church as Jerusalem really is fitting because Jerusalem is the city that is built around God's presence in the temple. The church is the body that's built around Jesus Christ, our temple. So the church as the new Jerusalem really is the right imagery to be using.
1: Wow, yeah. Isn't that kind of cool? Absolutely. And, and And what is it built for? It's built for reconcilement. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, all the bankers are all the, all the thrilled. Ban- <laughs> Yay! <laughs> like reconciliation. <laughs> no reconcilement. I know that's my. That's, oh my that. Gosh, See buddy. how I did that? I, yeah, you, yeah. You can't pin me down, man.
0: No, I can't. You're not in a box. Nobody's no gonna box put me in you. a box. Speaking Nobody of puts Father Peter in a corner. No. What's that from? Uh, Dirty Dancing. Nobody puts baby, oh, baby in a corner. In <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Uh, Which Romans. leads us into Romans. It does. It, it's okay. <laughs> what?
1: I was joking. I had no idea how it leads into oh, Romans. I, no, it doesn't. But we're we're there. We're, um, we're at Romans regardless. It,
0: this is such a strain. I'm, I'm bumbling around and kind of getting sassy just because, like you said, I don't. I'm struggling to to coalesce these things because we've got this but this the the scripture readings this week speak to the reality of advent in the sense that it's it like you are hard to be nailed down yeah. it's hard to tell advent one of the things i strangely in my weird little mind love about advent is that i don't quite know what to do with it because i know that t- so you know when i grew up at, at growing up in the American society, Advent was just, you know, an elongated Christmas. I mean, you know, for the American society, for most of our society, Christmas ends on Christmas Day. Right. That's it. In the mind of the church, that's the beginning of Christmas, right? And it goes on from there. But in the mind of sort of our culture, you know, we get Christmas that starts right after Halloween about, and then we get all the buildup, you know, all of my neighbors are already putting up their Christmas trees and Christmas lights and stuff, which, which you know, it is what it is. But... Advent is this time. There's Santa Claus's around. There's Christmas music. There's the fun treats and the candies and the foods, and but but then I learned when I became more serious about my faith that no, the church considers it a penitential season. It's like Advent, right? Because we're preparing for this thing. But at the same time, it's not quite like Advent, even the way the readings are structured. You, you mean Lent? I'm sorry, it is not quite like Lent in the strict. But it's left me at this place where I don't totally know what Advent is, dude, and I kind of like that.
1: Okay, so so for for anybody, I know it's penitential. That yeah, that is what it is. I know that. This is the thing: is that Scott, you and I, I think, um, are great representations of of the attitude towards advent because one of the things that you do, which you excel at for me, I want to get right to the meat. I'm just like, Hey, let's answer this thing right out. I have all these questions in my head and I don't pause to take the time to be able to ask what the question is. Oh, I'm
0: annoying in that way.
1: And that's where you're like, no, let's set the context. Let's understand. Let's, let's establish what the real nature of the question is. That's what would make you good at being a part of community liberation. (laughs) because <laughs> they they're good at that they do that's they that, like but that's the thing is that like i think that advent would be precisely where you thrive because you have the ability to set the question and that's really what i see advent is is because it's mysterious yeah. you can go so many ways and you say like oh my goodness hold on we're supposed to be streaming towards jerusalem yeah. and this high zion mountain and but then how do we do that and there's like songs of ascent and we're trying to understand like what's happening
0: yeah which is why um the second reading i, I mean i am I'm, I'm it's not that i'm struggling to find where the second reading fits is that i'm seeing how it's not even how do i say this i'm seeing the multi-layeredness of this in a certain sense mm. right cuz the second read uh, the uh, the the first reading in the psalms are pointing us in a very real way i think toward calvary and okay. toward what Jesus does. They're also pointing us toward our eschatological end, right? I mean, the destruction of the temple in the time of Jesus, which is what the gospels are going to be sort of pointing toward, is speaking about the destruction of the temple and the end of the world. There, There's layers to this. So yes, on Calvary, you see the nations beginning to stream to this new temple, but we didn't see it. We don't see it in its fullness yet. We see another layer of it in the Catholic Church, right? And all the nations of the earth that in every hour, in every continent on earth, there is a Catholic Mass being said, right? This is a universality. That is true. At any moment. But we still haven't seen the fullness of that. We still haven't seen the fullness of Isaiah's vision of what this means. And Romans sort of speaks to that because in a very real way, this has happened. It's done. What Isaiah was pointing toward has taken place, yet... Paul at the tail end of Romans, he's just finished his whole massive theological movement of of Romans, this whole Christological, probably the most succinct, laid out um, uh, proposition of the gospel ever made, right? And then at the, at the tail end of it, he says, brothers and sisters, okay, you know now the time, is the uh, it is the hour now for you to awake from sleep for your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And you might want to say, well, wait a second, didn't it already happen on Calvary? And he says, yes, it did, but it's about to happen again in a real way because it continues to happen. There's layers to it. There's movements of what Jesus is doing, right? Uh, it's nearer now than when we first believed. The night is advanced. The day is at hand. Let us throw off the works of darkness and put on the armor of the light. Let us conduct ourselves properly as in the day, uh, not in drunkenness and orgies and promiscuity and all these other things. This and, is an Advent
1: st- passage. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh flesh to gratify its desires. Yeah. It's funny. I, whenever I read this, I always think that this is like the preparatory thing that actually says... Okay, let's set us, let's set aside this time, and and actually move away from the desires of the flesh, right? And so that we can actually live in light. Now, the I, the, the word um, make no provision for the for the flesh. You can translate the word provision a couple of different ways. Okay, and one of them is is forethought. Don't like think oh. beforehand about gratifying hmm. the desires of the flesh. Say i'm actually going to move away which is i think part of speaks to part of what you're desiring for the character the season which isn't it funny like like Let's be honest. How many holiday parties do you say like whoa, oh, drank a little too much or you know what I'm saying like like during advent? <laughs> and so uh, so when when I think of this it's saying like okay, here's the difference. There there are two paths that are set before you, light and darkness. Mm. Put on the armor of light and and lay aside the works of darkness, which is walking in the path of the Lord that we're seeing in the first one, ascending to the Lord, like saying like actually this is a time where How do we reconcile? Because like, isn't that the nature that we come back into is we see family, we see friends, we like make the passion of the Lord real within the immediate reality of our families. That's why it says like uh, all these beautiful things for the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek your good, which the flesh is precisely not seeking another's good, but trying to satisfy something inside of ourselves.
0: So for the sake of the house of the Lord, I will seek your good. And here is Paul talking about the ways not to live these things for the sake of what? For the sake of the kingdom of the Lord. And what he's saying is, guess what? It is upon you. Wake up from your sleep. What does it mean to wake up from your sleep? To live in reconciliation with these people around you. To right. not live in the promiscuity and licentiousness and all these things because the kingdom of the Lord the day is at hand, he says. It's the same thing Jesus says in the Gospels, right? Not just at hand, it's actually here. You just can't see it fully yet. And this is sort of, to me, the mystery of Advent. It's here. Right. He is here, but right. he's still hidden from our eyes a little bit. Yes. And this is what we're preparing for. So we're kind of living in this state of realizing, no, he's already arrived. This has taken place, but I have not fully seen or experienced it with my own eyes and all of my senses yet, and there will come a day when I will. So I'm waiting for something that's already taken place, so that I can participate in that thing that's already taken place more fully than I do.
1: Absolutely, this is our waiting place, which is which is precisely leading us into the gospel. It really is, but isn't it's fascinating? It's okay, fascinating. Which is the grand mystery
0: of our Advent life. Yes, and I think the gospel reading plays into this in a in a pretty big way. Big dog. All right, so it begins by saying, so this is Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is what's commonly known as the eschatological discourse. So it's that the eschatological discourse where Jesus is talking about um, the end, basically. And it's it's the it wasn't last week. We jumped over it a little bit, but the week before. We were seeing Jesus talking about wars and rumors of wars and, you know, all all sorts of stuff. Right. But the context is, he said, okay, the temple is about to be destroyed. This old temple, right? There's a new movement. There's a shift. It's Air Force One, right? It's going down. We're moving. (laughs) Harrison Ford's jumping planes, right? There's going to be a movement. And his disciples said, wait a second, when is this going to be and what will be the signs? They want to know what the signs are. And to, to that, he says the things like there's wars and rumors of wars and... There'll be famines and earthquakes and all these things, which happens. Not only does the temple, the old temple, get destroyed by the Romans, by wars and rumors of wars and all sorts of things, but even Jesus' own body, the true temple, there is a little mini famine, right? When he says, I thirst, he is embodying famine. There is an earthquake. Mm. There is there is a—what a, 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 do you call that thing? Eclipse. Eclipse, thank you. Of the sun, right? Creation, all of these things take place not only in the destruction of Jerusalem, which happens in about 70 A.D., but also on Calvary. And there's a there's an important line here. I just want to point this out because I think this is profoundly important. So in the midst of all of this that Jesus is saying, yeah. he said to his disciples, as it was in the days of Noah— so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up until the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not know until the flood came and carried them away. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man.
1: Now, Dude, we i got to say a word about this. Yeah, we live in Boulder, and there's the Noah, which is the <laughs> North
0: American oh,
1: atmospheric Administration. Isn't that kind of weird? I've never put that together until just now. <laughs>
0: and if Boulder were to flood, where would you want to be? And Noah. At Noah, because it's on a big plateau. Yeah. Okay. I've read some commentaries, and I was thoroughly dismayed that nobody got this. I mean, I'm sure commentaries are dead, but I just I picked up a couple, and I was reading through and I was like, wait a second. Here's what I read. Basically, so when he says it was, it's like it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man— in other words, in these commentaries were saying, you know, people had no idea there was a flood coming. They were just going about their business and doing their eating and their drinking and doing their thing. But no, all of a sudden, g- building a gigantic ark,
1: though, dude. For how long? Like sixty years or something, right? Thirty. Hundred
0: and twenty years. 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 One hundred and twenty years. Now think about this for a second. Why does God and the New Testament, the book, it's either First Peter or Second Peter, gives the answer to this? And I, I actually, I, I asked the focus team we were doing a Bible study about something else. But do you know the answer to this? Because this is, I think, one of the most important questions for salvation history. Oh man, I feel a lot of according pressure. According to now. the New Testament, according to the New Testament, what was Noah's vocation? To
1: make known the coming of the flood. Close. I don't know. It's, it's related s- to that. To save all the animals, No. two by two. No. To,
0: uh, I don't know. It's fascinating. I mean, this isn't a trick question, but but I I, I think it's, like the it. weight of it is so because you know I thought. Noah's, Noah's job was to build a big boat and to be like, save yourself. Tough luck, everybody else. You know, na-na-na-na-na. Yeah. He, God gives Noah a, a, a relatively arbitrary job. It's not arbitrary. He saves everybody <laughs> and the animals. But he gives a job that's going to take 120 years. That's a long time to be building a boat. Dude, uh, building a boat for 120 days is a long time. <laughs> right. So God purposely gives Noah a job that's going to take a really long time because Noah's vocation really isn't about building a boat. And what Peter says, what for, it's either first or second, I can't recall. Okay. It says Noah's job is to be a preacher of repentance. Mm. Why does God give Noah a task that's going to take 120 years? To give him plenty of time to try to bring God's people back to him to try to preach repentance because God doesn't want to wipe everybody out. God has God is just, and he can't let evil continue indefinitely. But what he wants is his people to turn back. What he wants is the hearts of his people to come back. This is the whole message of Isaiah, is that, yeah, there's all these calamities that are coming, but they don't have to happen. I want your hearts to come back to me. They're going to come because you're going to make choices that are ultimately going to destroy yourselves, and you're going to put your faith in things that will not save you. I would want you to come to me. This is what Jesus says when he comes into Jerusalem right before Palm Sunday. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, stoning the prophets and killing those who were sent to you. Would that I could have gathered you together like a hen gathers her brood. I wanted you, but you would not let me. Noah's job was to preach repentance to the people so that they could repent and come back to the Lord and not be obliterated. And Jesus says, that's what it's like with me. That's what it's like with the coming of the Son of Man. So when we read this passage, we're like, Jesus is going to come again? Everyone's going to be like, why? I had no idea. That's not what happened in the flood. The reason these people are punished in the flood is because they heard the message of the Lord. They, I hope, heard the call of Yahweh calling them back to himself, and they rejected him. Mm. That is where punishment. You don't get condemned accidentally. You know, in Catholic theology, nobody's in hell by accident. Well, how did I get here? You have <laughs> to consciously choose to reject right. God and his revelation to us. Why does I, I'm fascinated by the fact that, you know, Jesus pronounces this condemnation on the temple here in Matthew 24. The temple, he says, not one stone will be left upon another, right? That right. was two weeks ago. And then the temple itself is not destroyed for, for about 40 more years. Why does it get, that's a long period of time in between. If he said it's going to go down, just do it. Why wait 40 years? Well, he waits 40 years for the same reason that God gave Noah the job of 120 years, because he wants to call his people back to himself. He knows it's a hard transition. God is merciful. He knows it's hard for people to change their whole mindset from putting their faith in this building that housed God's presence to now God's presence dwelling in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a big jump. God is merciful. He is compassionate and he is patient. So he's going to give time for people to move. But make no mistake, if we reject his son, if we reject who he is Mm -hmm. and the way he wants to reach out to us, he will not force us. Mm. And we will be like those in the time of Noah who said, forget it. We don't want anything to do with that. We will save ourselves. Again, this is the theme of Isaiah. We don't need God. We will save ourselves. God says, okay, see how that works out for you. And then when you inevitably do fail, I will come back in and I will pick up the pieces. And eventually you're going to see the fruition of this. You're going to see what it means for people to follow after me. And you're going to see all nations flocking to a new kind of a Zion. Mm -hmm. This is ultimately what Jesus is getting at. He says, this is how it's going to be in the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be out in the field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. I mean, really, he's speaking it. people use this as the whole, remember, the left behind series. It's an abject misreading of this. He's talking about the wars and the threats and the, the human-caused calamities that are going to come in the time of Jerusalem being destroyed. Roman guards, Roman soldiers are going to run into the field. They're going to kill somebody and leave the other. Believe me, you want to be left behind in that scenario, right? Right. It's not what some of our evangelical friends think it is. But he's saying, you're not going to know on which day the Lord is going to come. You do know that the Lord is patient. You do know that he's going to call you. You do know that it's not going to be some accident that you have rejected him. Wow, I had no idea. This is why in Catholic theology, you know, I remember in middle school and stuff, going to Catholic middle school, the, those those theoretical questions like, well, what if there's someone on a deserted island somewhere who's never heard of God? What about them? And the Catholic answer is, well, they don't exist because God will reveal himself to every human heart. And it is up to us how we respond to that. Mm-hmm. Now, those of us in the church have a particular responsibility to do the work of getting that message out. But God's not going to leave anybody high and dry. Right. And we have to choose how we will respond. That's what Jesus is saying to his followers. How are you going to respond Because, Mm -hmm. as Paul says, the the night is now far spent. Mm -hmm. The morning is on the horizon. You don't know exactly when it's going to show up, but it is coming. You have been forewarned. You have been told by the prophets for centuries. Are you ready or are you not ready? Are you willing to accept? When you see a temple hanging on a cross and the least likely of people crying out to it for instruction and for salvation— are you going to be in the crowd jeering and mocking them? Or are you going to realize, yes, I need that same salvation that that Roman centurion does. I need the same salvation that that poor criminal on the cross is crying out for. Mm. Or are you going to be on the sidelines mocking them because it wasn't the kind of salvation that you were hoping for? Mm. This is the Advent message. This is why Jesus, then born in humility in a manger, might might not be the Messiah everyone was hoping for or expecting. Right. But are you going to be like the shepherds, the least of the society who come flocking? Are you going to be like the magi, the outsiders, these scientists from a far off land who get it and see it and feel their hearts being moved and come? This is the question of Advent. What are you waiting for? What are you looking for? And when it shows up, are you going to recognize it? Mm. Are you going to be blind to it? I don't know. This is this,
1: this is, is am prep- This is the preparations that we're doing. Yeah. And this is the mystery and the complexity of what we're engaging in. It's complex. Boy, it mm. is. Well, you guys, awesome. Thank you for getting us uh, d- together um, today in your headphones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stereo. <laughs> Stereo. Indeed, and have
0: a happy Thanksgiving. One million. Million. Bye. Bye-bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.academy.com lankyguys.org. See you next week.